This is James Moore, pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri, praying this audio message will be a blessing to you. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. You know, here's the thing. Look at the person next to you. All right, look at the other person that you didn't look at that time, your second choice. (laughs) That person next to you has a picture of God in their head. And that picture of God is different than your picture of God. We all have different things that have contributed to the image that we put on God. If we were to say, what does Jesus look like to you? Some of you would go back to maybe a household you grew up in, maybe that family member, maybe it's Catholic, white Jesus, and he's hanging on the wall. You guys remember the picture? We've all seen it. Some of you, that's what you think of Jesus. Very few of you probably think of Middle Eastern Jesus, which would probably be more accurate. Some of you might have black Jesus. We all have a different picture of Jesus in our head. And are any of those pictures in our head accurate? No, we don't know what Jesus looked like. Most of you have Jesus with a well-trimmed beard. What if he was like ZZ Top? We don't know. What if he was bald? We don't know. We just don't know. Did he have hairy ears? Did he have nostril hair? What kind of guy was he? You know, you see some guys at the pool and they have hairy chest. Did Jesus have a hairy chest? Do you have a picture of a hairy chest of Jesus? What do you picture? We don't know what Jesus looked like. We know that there was nothing crazy, unique about him. He wasn't like the most handsome guy ever. He wasn't the shortest guy ever. He wasn't the tallest guy ever. But there's things about Jesus that we have on our head. And most of our picture of Jesus has been shaped by however we were raised. If you grew up in church, there are certain inputs that you got. And whether those inputs were desired for you to reach that picture, that doesn't matter. That's where we've ended up. And so we all have a picture of Jesus. So if we move beyond what he physically might look like, there is an image that we have of God of how he is, his character, how he behaves, how he is. And a lot of us have this picture of God as being like an old man. Like he's got a white beard, like God the Father. Now we're talking God the Father. He's, you know, he's, he's older than Jesus, so he's got to have the white beard. And he's sometimes distant, and he's sitting on a cloud, and he's looking down on his creation. We sometimes have this kind of picture. Or we have him as a very stern God of justice who gives commands, and there's ten commandments, and we're to go and do those commandments. And we have all these different pictures. And here's the truth. We have no idea who God is who is a spirit, unless God himself introduces himself to us, right? We can draw two-dimensional images. We can live in a 3D world. If the fourth dimension is time, how do we comprehend a God who could be in the 18th dimension? We can't. We don't understand it. We can't comprehend it. We can't put God in a box. And so, so often because we're desperate to try to define him, we just sometimes make God into a bigger version of who we are. We see him as bigger and stronger and smarter and just a more superior human being. But he is other than human. We may be in his image, but he is so much greater and different. And if you ever read the Old Testament, you see some prophets who were these guys that God spoke to, and their image of heaven and the image of God and the image of angels is radically different than what we've seen in paintings and pictures and on TV. So last week, I wanted to introduce to you an aspect of God that you might not have considered. And I called him a let's go God. 
We serve a God who is not far away from us, but he is a God who is with us. He knows right where you're at. He knows what your story is. He knows what you're walking through, and he is not far removed from you. Rather, he is close to you, and if God was to look you in the eyes, he would be saying, come on, let's go. I got a plan for your life. I got something for you. I want you to come along. Let's go. I I love you where you're at. I I met you here, but I love you too much to let you get stuck here and to leave you here. I got a plan for you, and it's going to involve change. And so I want to walk it with you. Are you ready? Come on, let's go. Like, come on, let's go. We're not staying here no more. We're going. And so if we picture God as this God who is really a God of change, That's different than sometimes the stagnant view that we have of God as far removed and set in somewhere watching everything unfold. Now, it's true that our God, according to the Bible, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we talk about that, you say, well, that sounds like an unchanging God. Well, he is unchanging in his character. Is God always love? Yes. There's never a time that he wasn't love. There's never a time that he won't be love. Is God justice? Is he just? Yes. But you say, well, how can he be just and loving at the same time? That's because he's God. He's 100% love and 100% justice. It's not like, oh, Old Testament God, he was just mad at the world, and then he changed, and then he was all about grace in the New Testament. No, no, no. He's the same God. We just saw different aspects of him based upon what we read, based upon how he revealed himself. And so as we have this God who is a God of change, he is always bringing change. Think about the change that he's brought into the world. There was no world and he created a world. That's a lot of change. You didn't exist and he created humanity. That's a lot of change. He's a God of change. And then when humanity decided, we don't like you, God, we're going to do our own thing. We eat off whatever tree we want, God. He said, hey, I love you enough not to leave you in that state in which you're fallen and broken and trying to do it in your own power and trying to be your own king, and it's not ever going to work out good for you. I love you so much that I'm going to bring change into your world. I'm going to bring a savior to you. I'm going to actually send my son. For God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only son. He introduced change. And here's the cool thing about our God, who is a God of change, who is a let's go God, is that his change is never unexpected. Whatever change he wants to bring, he always announces the change before it comes. That's really encouraging. He isn't just going to like spontaneously adjust on you. No, the change that he wants to bring, he knows what the change is, and he is announcing it. It is known. It's not unknown. And so when we read the Bible, we find that there was this group of men who were called prophets. And these prophets were men who told the world about the changes that God was going to bring. Some of these men in the Bible have books named after them. There's people like Jeremiah or Isaiah, Hosea, Zechariah, Daniel, and there's many more. Of all the prophets that ever lived, of all the people who were announcing, hey, God is bringing change, do you know who the greatest of them all was? It was a man named John. I know some of you are like, I thought that the right answer to all questions in church was Jesus. I was so leaning towards you. No, no, no. The greatest of them all was John, the greatest prophet, the greatest announcer of change. If we were to use terms from sports, the goat was John, the greatest of all time. That's what goat means in case you don't know. <laughs> now, now, John is a very popular name. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you know somebody named John? Yes? Hi, John. 
Uh, my grandfather, my dad's name, uh, my dad's dad was John. Um, I almost became a John Moore. Uh, I've got a kid on my cross-country team named John. We know John. There's lots of John. And just as there's lots of Johns in our world today, in the Bible time, guess what? There were lots of Johns back then. John's kind of a long-standing name. Uh, in, in the Bible, we find that uh, there's John Mark. He was the author of what we would call the gospel called Mark. He was actually John Mark. We just dropped the John so you're not confused. But there was John Mark. Uh, then there was uh, John the Beloved or John who was the brother of James or, or John the Disciple. Like, that's all the same John. He's kind of like the big John in the Bible. You know, he had the big book, and then he had the three little books. There's John. But John... The goat, the greatest of all time prophet, isn't either of those guys. The greatest of all time, this John, he was sometimes referred to as John the Baptist, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense today because we have a lot of denominations in our world, and so they're like, oh, John was a Baptist. Let's go Southern Baptist Convention. Like, No, he was not a part of the denomination of that. So sometimes, instead of calling him John the Baptist, he, he got that title because he was baptizing so many people. They're like, man, he's the Baptist. So sometimes I like to call him John the Baptizer. That, that way there's not confusion. Um, some people refer to him as John the Immerser because he was immersing people under the water, right? Um, in the Bible, a, a lot of uh, groups of Christianity actually call him John the Witness, because in the book of John, which is not John the Baptist writing, but John the Beloved, he is always connected to being a witness. And so sometimes he's called John the Witness. And the last time, uh, the last title that sometimes he goes by is called John the Forerunner. That he was the one who ran ahead of Jesus and prepared the way for Jesus' arrival. So, so this is the same John. This is the goat. This is the greatest of all time. This is the best prophet that ever existed. And you're like, why do you keep calling him that? Um, I thought like a Elijah was kind of cool. I thought like Elisha was kind of a big deal. Like, why are you calling John the greatest of all time? I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Matthew 11, 11 says this. This is Jesus' words. He says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. I, that settles it. I mean, there it is. I, <laughs> but I thought, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. So, so, so let's talk about John. Who is this guy? If he's the greatest of all time, if Jesus is praising this guy, I mean, that's a pretty big deal if Jesus is praising him and saying he's the greatest who ever lived. Who is he? What is he about? Well, John, John lived in the desert. How many of you have ever been to the desert? Have you guys seen all the restaurants out there and all the food and all the vegetation and all the green? No, because it's the desert, also known as the wilderness. He lived out where there was nothing. Like, people didn't live where he lived. He's out in nowhere land, and he lived in seclusion because nobody else wanted to live in the desert with him. He's this loner in the desert. Nobody brought him food from the city. He didn't have, like, an import system from the city. No, he just kind of began to survive on whatever he could in the desert. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says that John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Okay, this isn't soft camel hair. That would have been nice. Coarse camel hair. I don't know if he found a camel out there that died in the wilderness, and he's like, hey, clothes. I don't know. He found this, and he, he had woven clothes of camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Fun fact, I don't know why. Um, it wasn't like he was wearing pants. Uh, he didn't, not, but he has a belt. And then finally, what, what was he eating out there? For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, 
grasshoppers. How many of you guys remember uh, Disney's movie, The Lion King? Anybody remember Lion King? You remember when Simba, like, you know, Mufasa died, and so he's running away, and he makes some new friends, and he meets Timon and Pumbaa? Timon and Pumbaa eat bugs. John the Baptist eats bugs, and it's no Hakuna Matata, but that is what's going on. He is a bug eater. Like, he's eating bugs. Like, this guy, let's be honest, he's a weirdo. He's wearing camel hair. He's taking grasshoppers, dipping them in the honey, and acting like this is normal behavior. This guy is wild. He is weird. But somehow or another, God has sent John ahead to prepare the way for Jesus. He's announcing to everybody, hey, change is coming to humanity. I'm letting you know it's coming. It's on the way. He was a weirdo, but he had a following. People began to follow him. And, 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 and his story is so unique because even before John was born, God had announced hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Isaiah that someone was going to come before Jesus who would be crying out in the wilderness. Check this out. This is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5. It says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. And just a few hundred years after this prophet Isaiah spoke, the prophet Malachi made a similar announcement that applied to what John would become. And he says this, he says, look, I am sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to this temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's army. And then just a chapter later in Malachi, we read this. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. John the Baptist, John the baptizer, the immerser, the witness, the forerunner, however you want to talk about him, became the fulfillment of these ancient writings when he obeyed God and began to preach. And what was his message? He preached a simple message, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In fact, this sermon, this message, was the first message and sermon that Jesus ended up preaching word for word. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And get this, although he was a wild man, eating grasshoppers, dipping them in honey, wearing camel hair and a weird leather belt, Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says that people from Jerusalem, which would have been the big city, and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. They all left comfort and went to the wilderness to hear him preach. And when they were there, look at verse 6. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Uh, if you've been around church for very long, or have known church people, or were alive in the 70s, you might have heard of something called the Jesus Movement. Anybody? familiar, heard the Jesus movement. Uh, if you haven't, it's like in the 70s, there was all these hippies, and they all started to like say no to drugs and say yes to Jesus. And so like there's just movement that swept kind of across the United States of hippies saying, we have to believe that there's something more than the high that we get from these drugs. And they said, no, we're going to be high on Jesus. We're going to be all in. And so churches began to grow up and, and explode with growth. But 
although that was named and labeled the Jesus movement, the original Jesus movement happened like 2,000 years earlier. Like the OG, like the real deal, happened when Jesus showed up on the scene. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago, it was actually our boy John who launched the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement didn't begin with Jesus just showing up. No, no, no. It started when John showed up because John began to tell people that something's getting ready to change. Change is coming your way. We have a let's go God, and he's getting ready to change everything up, and so you need to prepare your hearts. We need to prepare the way because the Savior's coming. And so people are like, I believe. I believe a Savior's coming. I'm in. They'll be baptized. I'm ready. And so when Jesus showed up, all he had to say was, hey, I'm that Savior. And they're like, you're the one that we heard about? You're the one that we believed in? If John hadn't preached, he'd have said, hey, I'm the Savior. And they're like, what's a Savior? Why do we need one of those? John prepared the way so that when Jesus showed up on the scene, the movement of what Jesus could do was able to take place. John was the forerunner. He ran ahead of Jesus on the timeline and began to turn people's hearts toward the change that God had for them. And John told those who were following him, here's what he said. He said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But listen, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I don't know how you feel about feet. I don't like feet. I sometimes think feet are deformed hands. Um, women in the summer, I don't know what it is, but like your heels get weird and there's commercials and you buy these little things and you like shave your heels off. It's gross. So gross. I'm a socks and shoes guy. Keep the toes covered. We don't let, don't let the dogs out. Like, we got to keep them covered up, right? So, so like, like, when, like, John is like, hey, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Like, they didn't have Nikes back then. They had sandals. They didn't have pavement. They didn't have sidewalks. They didn't have bluegrass. They are walking in some stuff. And we already know that John's wearing, what, camel's hair. That means there's camels out there. I don't know if you know, but camels eat a lot, and camels go number two. If you're just walking along, and you stepped in some camel dew, it's on your sandals. Gross. Gross. John says, listen, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and carry camel dew on his sandals. I'm below that. Um, no. He is so much greater than me. I can't even do that. John's such a crazy, cool character. He had one foot in the Old Testament, kind of announcing what all the Old Testament prophets said, that the Savior is coming, but he also had a foot in the New Testament because Jesus is here, and the change that he was proclaiming had come. And so he, he was a part of seeing the world being flipped right side up, and it was so cool. John is really a fascinating character, so much that we could study about him. We could talk about him and how Jesus actually met. We could talk about how they were actually distant relatives. We talk about how Jesus asked John to baptize him, uh, which is a really cool story in the Bible. We talk about John being thrown in prison for calling out, quote, the king for marrying his niece. That was not good. He was like, that's not right. Um, and so he got thrown in jail for that. Uh, we talk about John and how he actually had some doubts of his own and he struggled of faith while in prison. And we could actually talk about how he died. He died uh, a in an executor's death, like he died by decapitation, and in fact, his head was like carried around on a platter, like crazy stuff we could talk about in the life of John, so much to his life. 
But today, I've titled this message, Book Covers. That's right, Book Covers. How many of you, by a quick show of hands, love to read books? Okay, awesome. Well, that's so good. That's so good. I was talking to my cousin Natalie. She's like, I got to be careful when I read a book because if I start reading a book and it's good, then I can't put it down. Like, I'm just going to read to 10, and then all of a sudden it's 11, and it's like, well, man, I got to do it in the chapter, and next thing you know, it's 1.30 in the morning, and like, she's finishing an entire book. I have no understanding of what this is like, because I could care less about reading ever. <laughs> Not a joke. If you're with me, I'm sorry. Like, you're like, I thought you were a pastor and love God. That doesn't mean I love to read. Yes, I've read the Bible. Yes, I can read. I'm not illiterate, but I just don't enjoy it. Like, if there's a movie coming out and everybody's like, hey, have you read the book about that? Nope. There's a movie coming out. I can get the whole book in two and a half hours. I didn't need to spend the time. But no, the book's so much better than the movie. I don't care. <laughs> so, so I guess some of you are book people. Uh, I'm not really a book person, but I do like to do this with my wife. We will sometimes go on a date night. We'll be like down at the plaza and we'll be like, hey, let's walk in Barnes and Noble. And you'd think you're not a reader. Why do you care? I like perusing the book covers. I like seeing what stands out like, oh, that's a good, I don't know what it's about. And if it's a good cover, what do you do? You go pick it up and you look at the back of the cover and you start to read about the book. And you're like, man, this is so interesting. If I like to read, I'd probably buy this. And then you put it back on the shelf and you see your way out. Book covers. Book covers create that first impression you have of the book. You don't know what the book's about. Maybe you know the author, maybe you don't. But when you see the cover, it's either standing out to you or it's not. And so if you think about it from like a marketing standpoint, the book cover design can make or break the book. If it's not well designed, you're not going to be attracted to it. It's the first thing that you see. If, if the, it's not designed well, man, that publisher, he's losing sales. And so Book covers are a big deal. They make a good impression. Man, we're going we're gonna to buy it. We're going to go there. But then there's this saying, and we've all heard it. Don't judge a book by its cover. You guys all heard this, right? Which is hard because we all judge the book by its cover. If it's not got a good cover, I don't know if I'm going to read it. I only have so much time. I don't like to read. If I'm going to spend the time, it's better going to be good. And I'm basing some of that on the cover. But we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. In other words, we're not supposed to let outward appearances be the only indicator of someone or something's value or worth. Don't judge a book by its cover. I need to tell you a story. A couple weeks ago, my wife said, hey, let's go on a date. And I'm like, awesome. I love to go on dates with you. But then I start thinking, how expensive is this going to be? Right? You know, not only you got to pay for whatever we're going to do, like the dinner or the movie or whatever it is, but now we have kids, and like people don't watch your kids really for free often unless they're related to you. I'm like, do we have to pay a babysitter? How expensive is it not going to be? She said, hey, I already got grandma coming over. I'm like, boom, saving some money already. Let's go. And then she said, I got free tickets to the movie. Ah, oh, this is going to be a great date night. I just have to spend exorbitant gas money to go to the movie theater. This isn't bad. We got this. I'm like excited. And so I don't know how it was. Uh, she found a deal. I don't know if it's for pastors or Christians. There's this Christian movie coming out, and I can't tell you about it because they make me sign all these disclosure comments. And it was a good movie. It really was. I'll probably take you to see it uh, when it comes out, but I can't tell you anything more about it than that because uh, I'm a Christian and I'm honest. So we go, and we're, we're going to see this movie. And so we get there early enough, I think, to find a good seat. No. 
All these other Christians who got these free tickets all got there early. I don't know what they were thinking. And have you ever walked into the theater and all the good seats where you want to sit got people's bodies in them? And then you're like looking down here on the flat and you're like, oh man, I'm going to be like this the whole movie. And so we found our seat and I was like, it's all right. I didn't pay for this. This is a free thing. I'll get a neck ache for free. This is great. We'll do it. So the theater's kind of full, so we slide by some people, which is always awkward, but it was kind of fun being in the theater because they made us turn our cell phones in. Like, you couldn't, like, they didn't want anybody accidentally recording something, so all of a sudden, this was like being in a movie theater from, like, 20 years ago. There's, like, a buzz in the room. Everybody's talking to one another. Nobody's got their head in a phone because there's no phones available, and so then it was the first test of our marriage. Can I keep a conversation with my wife with no phone for the next 30 minutes while we wait for the movie to start? You know, so all of a sudden we're people watching and commenting on others and we're trying to keep the conversation going. There's no previews to talk about. So it, it was good. And so we got into this middle row. We're down in the front and like people are still coming in. And so people are leaving, getting the popcorn and there's a seat open next to me and there's a seat open next to Missy. But then there's like people everywhere. And I'm like, this is great. I don't have to sit by anybody. I got my personal space. This is gonna be so good. And over on the side of the theater, far away from me, I hear a man walk into the theater. He's one of those men that has maybe a little redneck in him and no volume knob. And, you know, he's just a little loud. You guys kind of know you've met that guy. He's just a little bit over the top. He's a little bit like everybody in the theater knows he just came in the room. And he's like, hey, I need to find two seats, you know. <laughs> and so I'm like, immediately, I don't think so. Like, I don't think you're going to set by me. So I just naturally, I'm calm. I'm not I'm not against the guy. I hope he finds some seats. I just kind of put my head down in my hand and leaned on, and he's on this side. So, you know, I can't help you. I don't hear you, you know, although everyone hears you. So I'm like this, and I'm like, just, just let it pass. He'll get a seat. And to my shock, and, 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 and I couldn't believe it, out of the corner of my eye, I see my wife being like, hey, over here. We got two seats. Alex, move over one. And I'm thinking, why are we moving this way? Why are we moving this way? He can sit by you. No. So next thing, I just, I mean, I really, I, she said, I, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I moved over a seat, and here he came. And so he, he's a bigger boy, and he, oh, thank you. You know, he's excited, you know. And, um, He's got his Walmart reusable bag. It's not just, you know, plastic disposable, but he's got his reusable bag, and he's, he's sliding through, and he's, and I'm thinking, all right, we got two seats. He needed two. I don't know who he's with, but maybe he'll sit not right beside me, you know? No. He squeezed right in there, and I realized in that moment, I don't get to use that armrest the rest of the movie. We're just going to be over here because he's taking it. And so um, I kind of, you know, Looked him over, and he was like, oh, man, my wife's going to hate this. She gets dizzy. She's going to be looking up. And so in my head, I'm immediately, I'm not lying, I'm already judging what his wife looks like. I'm like, what kind of woman would marry a man like this? You know? And so in my head, like, I, I don't know if you guys remember the show Drew Carey, but he had that, like, f female character, Mimi Bobic. That's what I had in my head was going to become rolling in in a few minutes. And so I'm over here, and, and, and so I, you know, kind of skiing him up once, and I looked at Missy, and I was like, listen, if I get any mayonnaise or vinegar and oil on me, I'm not going to let you hear the end of this. And her face kind of changed, like, 
what does that comment have to do with anything? And at that very moment, out of the Walmart reusable bag came the longest Jimmy John sub you've ever seen in your life. It wasn't a foot long, it was like a two foot long. And he just pulled, it kept coming out of the bag. I was like, oh man. So definitely not gonna be leaning on that armrest. And uh, he says, oh man, they didn't cut it in half. Didn't stop him. He's unwrapping this, he's got his legs wide, and he is eating this thing, and so I'm realizing, okay, I'm just getting a little less space on my seat, and it's dripping mayonnaise and oil all over the movie theater floor. (laughs) Missy, how could you call this guy over here. How could you do this? And so he, he ate the whole thing. He ate the whole thing before his wife got in there. I think she was supposed to have half the sandwich, but he said they didn't cut in half, huh? So I just finished it. And so when she showed up, I was, uh, I was surprised. She, she came in and didn't look anything like I thought. She was in business attire, was well put together, and came in. So there had to be something the matter with her because she married him. But I was finding myself in this movie theater Hardcore judging this guy that I never met. I was looking at outward appearance. I was looking at some behavior things that bother me. I was looking at the Jimmy John sub. I was looking at the pool of mayonnaise and oil that was collecting on the floor. And, and I was thinking, who is this guy? I thought this was like supposed to be like maybe for pastors or people like that. And then I was like, could this guy be a pastor? Who would follow him? Like, I had all of these thoughts going through my head. And, and here's what I walked away from that experience realizing. Is that I was unloving towards Mr. Jimmy John. I did not engage with him in conversation. I did not invite him to have a seat. I, yeah, wanted to, I wanted to ignore him. I wanted him to go somewhere else. I didn't want him to be around me. This was my date night. And so I judged him based on the personality, the tone of his voice, how loud he was. I judged him on the outward appearance. I, I chose to ignore, disassociate, and disregard him. And, and, and as I left that movie theater and reflected back on this, I began to realize that if I had lived when John the Baptist, the greatest of all time prophet, had lived, I would have written him off. I'd have never gone out into the wilderness. I'd have never listened to him. He's a weirdo. What are you wearing? What are you eating? Why are you acting the way you are? And you have other, you know who I'd think less of? Anybody who would choose to follow the weirdo. All the disciples that were following, oh, what's the matter with you guys? Like, I get he's weird, but you're choosing to be weird. Like, I would have been so judgmental. And the message I have today is that I think all of us have Jimmy Johns in our life. There are people who we judge. There are people who we label. There are people who we devalue. People that we avoid. People we ignore. And these are people that God created and loves. It's horrible that many of us treat our pet animals with more respect and dignity than we treat other human beings created in the image of God. Author C.S. Lewis said this once. He said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. We have a God who is a let's go God. 
And when it comes to the prejudice that we carry in our heart towards others, God says, I love you too much to leave you there. It's time to change. Let's go. But how do we change? How do we look at people different than us, the way that Jesus would? How do, how do we as Christians, as people who are taking on the name of Jesus, how do we treat people of a different race? How do we pe- treat people of, of, of a different skin color or of a different economic position or of a different gender identity or of a different sexual orientation or of a different political persuasion or of a different religious belief? How do we treat these people the way that Jesus would. How do we as a Christian allow God's love to flow through us to the world? How do you deal with the Johns in your life? See, the good news for you and me is that God can change people's hearts. And I need my heart to be transformed. And my guess is that you do too. For some of you, you know exactly who your John is. It's that person that you struggle to love. And for others of you, you're like, I don't know who my John is. He's going to show up this week. And you're going to be like, oh, (laughs) that's my John. But if we are following Jesus, listen, Jesus is not going to partially make your heart new. He's not just going to make parts of it new and leave old parts. No, he's going to do a transformative work to completely renew our heart and give us a heart that loves fully And it's going to be a heart that's going to be quick to forgive. It's going to be a heart that's going to be full of peace. And as we receive a new heart, we're going to begin to see people the way that Jesus sees them, not just from our prejudice. I think God's telling us today, let's go. It's time for some deep changes to take place at your core. And as I thought about Jimmy John in the movie theater, And I thought about John the Baptist. I jotted down three thoughts that are true of John the Baptist that might help me not write off the Jimmy John, that might help me not put down this man I don't know. Number one is this. John the Baptist has a miracle story. If you ever read the Bible and you want to find where the birth of Jesus took place, you first have to read about the birth of John. His parents were old his dad was a priest. There's no way really for them to have children. They were barren. And the angel Gabriel, who actually showed up and talked to Mary, showed up and talked to Zechariah and said, listen, you're going to have a son, and he's going to have a place and a purpose in my plan, and it's going to be a miraculous birth. See, God was involved in John's story, and there's miracles there. And if I had taken the time, I bet you anything that the guy sitting next to me in the movie theater There's some things that happened in his life in which God's grace was shown to him, and it's a miracle that he was even sent there. But I never took the time to find out what it is. God loves everyone, and he's been kind to you, and he's kind to those who have not yet put their trust in him yet. We all have a miracle story, and if I can remember that John the Baptist had a miracle story, then the John I struggle with also has a miracle story. He's still breathing. He's still here. He still has hope. Second thing that I realized is that John has a place in God's plan. John the Baptist fulfilled an important role that made it possible for Jesus to walk in and do what Jesus needed to do. And I think that 
Just as John has a place in God's plan, you have a place in God's plan. And that person that bothers you, that person you can't stand, they have a place in God's plan. God has something that he wants to accomplish in his kingdom, and they're required. John, they've got a place in God's plan. And the final thing I, re- I realize about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, John the Forerunner, was that he was all in. I mean all in. Who would live in the wilderness unless you were all in? Who would choose discomfort over comfort? Not me. He chose to do what God was leading him to do. And why did he wear what he did? I don't know, maybe... Maybe it's because he recognized that he was going to be the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy in which God said, I'm going to send my prophet Elijah. So many people thought Elijah was going to come back from heaven in some bodily form, but it was actually John the Baptist who came in the power of Elijah. And we read this in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8 of Elijah, that he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and that was Elijah the Tishbite. Maybe John was so committed to being what God wanted, he looked the way he did, dressed the way he did, acted the way he did. And if I was alive in John's day, I would have judged him and dismissed him. And he was doing exactly what God wanted. I have to be careful with the people in my life that I just have a hard time with. They may be doing exactly what God wants. And whatever my pet peeve is with them is not something that God has with them. And so we need to be careful Because others may be following Jesus and loving him and actually exhibiting his love better than us in our judgment. The thing that also impressed me about John the Baptist is that he had people who were following him. They're actually called his disciples. Jesus wasn't the only one with disciples. John had disciples. And John never let his role in what God called him to do go to his head. He never became prideful and thought it was about him because as soon as Jesus showed up on the scene, he told his disciples, go follow him. The Lamb of God is here, the one who's died for your sin. John never made it about him. He never got defensive, never tried to keep the power, never did any of that. He was willing to give and knew his place. He never let it go to his head, the role that he had. And even in his death, he continued to do what he was called to do. He never turned his back on God. John was all in. And so today, as we close, I just have two challenges for you. Number one, be like John the Baptist. Get in step with God's plan for your life. We serve a let's go God, and he wants to lead you in that plan. Let's get into it, and let's be all in. But number two, don't write off the other Johns in your life. They may be a John the Baptist. They may be a Jimmy John. Whichever they are, we do not have the liberty as Christ followers to not show love to others. If you would, let's pray. God, I thank you that when I went to the movie theater with my wife, you had a man sit beside me to show me my own brokenness, the place in my heart that's not been transformed to be like you. And God, I ask that I would follow you as you look me in the eyes and say, let's go. We're not staying here. I have more for you. And God, I ask the same thing for each person that's in this room. God, I believe that your Holy Spirit is already at work in this room. I believe some have identified 
the John in their life that they just can't stand, that they are not loving towards. And I ask, Lord, that you would begin to transform their hearts. I ask, God, that you would do what only you can do. May we cooperate with you in this process. May we be willing to let go of our preconceived ideas of people and embrace your view of humanity. I pray, Lord, that we would be seen as a people of love, that we would not be seen for what we're against, but we'd be seen for what we're for. And Lord, as we love you, may that be evidenced by our love one for another. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for your patience with us. But Lord, may we continue to follow you. And may we never become content and compromise following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.